Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka. With me today, we have Ron Higgs from Wolf Management Solutions, and we are going to be talking about reducing business growth challenges. Ron, awesome to have you here today. Dan, it is great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to have some, we're going to have some fun here. So, you know, Ron, as we always do with our guests, I think the the first thing we're going to start out doing is, is tell us a little bit about your background, Ron, and kind of catch us up to what you're doing today. Well, I have a long sordid story, as you know, right? So I yeah, started it's awesome age. to tell it. That's why I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to tell it. It's good. Yeah. Well, I started my career in the Navy. I went to the Naval Academy, went to flight school after that, uh, flew airplanes in the Navy, uh, went into uh, what we call program management and acquisition, where I worked with uh, defense contractors on future Navy programs related to naval aviation. And I also worked on a uh, satellite system. After I was all done in the Navy, I couldn't really decide what I wanted to do. So I did a few things, including some consulting, mostly in the aerospace and defense industry. Uh, I worked in sales and business development for a large defense contractor. I worked... um, I worked in flight operations for an even larger defense contractor that builds airplanes in the Pacific Northwest, uh, flew airplanes uh, for those guys, and then took on some management responsibilities and decided I wanted to leave to experience some different things. So I ended up working in about four startups, um, all of which failed. I'm hoping I'm not the common denominator in all that. And uh, I went through a few iterations of my consulting business, but just by Mm -hmm. pure luck and networking, I ended up as the COO of a small company. And I was like, hey, this is my home. I found something that uh, I really had a uh, skills for. I really enjoyed it. But I got that job. I started that job in January of 2020. And in April of 2020, I got laid off. So and a lot yeah. of us ran into some hard times because of the pandemic. So I rebranded my consulting business as a fractional COO business, and I've been doing that since. So looking for busy business owners that need help running their companies. And I come in and try to pull them out of the everyday running of the business, uh, get them set up so they're working more in their zone of genius, and uh, try to do that for a couple of companies at a time. Very good. Very good. Well, I think you you went over it pretty quickly, your background, Ron, because <laughs> first of all, you're the only man that I know that has landed a plane on fire or had to ditch a plane that was on fire. You can tell us, let's, let's hear the story about that one, because that one's always, always really interesting. Well, there, there, there was no ditching. So I have the there you uh, go. An equal number of takeoffs and landings. Okay, uh, that's good. I, equal number of takeoffs and landings. That's important yeah, when you're flying equal planes. Equal number of takeoffs and landings, but some scary moments. And I think anyone who's been involved in naval aviation will tell you that naval aviation is probably responsible for some of the most exciting moments of their lives. Right? <laughs> Truly. Right. It is also responsible for some of the most terrifying moments of their lives. Yes. Uh, at the same time. So and and it could be in the same day or even on the same flight. Because I've gone from wow, I can't believe I get paid to do this to expletive, expletive, I can't, you know, they don't pay me enough to do this uh in the exactly. same flight or the same day. So I yeah. did have an experience where uh one airplane um caught on fire and we had to put it on the ground immediately. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that, yeah, it's good stuff. Now you're only you're also the only person I know that ever that, that has ever applied for the space program. Is that true? Uh, it is. And so my dream as a kid was to become an astronaut. And so I literally uh, figured out the path. And I, I I went to the local library to do it. Right. So I went to the local library, figured out what I needed to do to become an astronaut. I Naval Academy, um, amongst other places, but it was like Naval Academy, mm-hmm. um, become a test pilot, apply for the astronaut program. If you look at the histories of some of the astronauts, uh, yep. that's sort of the path. And so I, I committed to taking that path. And I actually went to the Naval Academy, graduated, went to flight school, got myself in the United States Naval Test Pilot School. I ended up becoming a flight instructor at the Test Pilot School. And from that, I was able to apply to to, uh, to be a mission specialist astronaut candidate at NASA. So the Navy forwarded me, uh, forwarded my name to NASA as a mission specialist astronaut candidate. And then uh, when I when my package got to NASA and I was reviewed by NASA, I ended up getting disqualified for a medical reason. So in terms of dreams, as a kid who was you know, wanted to be an astronaut because he spent a lot of time watching Star Trek, to... <laughs> You know, I got as close to that goal as I possibly yeah. could. So I, I, yeah. I'm proud of it. Yeah, that's cool. So as a test pilot, what are some of the planes you can talk about that you're able to fly? That was interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm lucky. And so if you remember uh, Top Gun, you know, Maverick and Goose. So, you know, I was yeah. a naval flight officer. So I was I, w- I was Goose. I got to, to do a lot of the work uh, while the pilots uh, took a lot of the credit. So um, I got to fly over somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 different aircraft. So mostly when I was in test pilot school and a flight instructor there, mostly F-18s. I flew S-3 Vikings in the fleet, which is a carrier-based submarine submarine hunter, which they retired quite a few years ago. So those don't fly anymore. And Mm -hmm. I got to fly a, um, I got to fly a B-25 bomber which oh, is wow. uh, on an evaluation exercise, which I thought was just tremendous. And I also got to fly a DC-3. Uh, some of the most wow. fun I've ever had was flying at the Haviland Beaver, <laughs> which is a, which is a tail dragger, which, you know, yeah. up in, uh, there's a lot of them up in Alaska. And as you know, uh, Kenmore Air uh, flies yeah. uh, some of those things. And yeah. that was literally the most fun I had was flying those airplanes because they were just so simple. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's something. Also, that's well, why I got wider. So from flying oh. in complete silence or from flying with lots of noise and, you know, basically losing my hearing as, <laughs> as I got older because of being around all that jet noise to be able to mm-hmm. fly in wider was uh, pretty interesting because flying in silence was something that, uh, that I had never done. I bet that is quite an experience. It, it is. Nothing but the wind rushing by. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it always is interesting to me as to how long they can, you can stay in the air with them if you know how to get to the right place and ride the airfoils and, and the, the yeah. draft and everything. Yes, something. indeed. And I don't think the gliders ever caught on fire. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's probably not happened. That's a good point. You're, you know, one more story I want to tell you about this. When I was in a company, you know, we had some personnel issues. And I, I just remember sitting across from somebody going, Oh my goodness, you know, this is really stressful. And they were talking about how stressful it was. And I just looked at him and go, well, you know, I flew airplanes off aircraft carriers and landed one airplane that was on fire. So my idea of a stressful situation might be a little different than yours. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I was having a little trouble with my empathy there, but I, you know, I've adjusted accordingly. Yes. Well, I think that's what, that's why I wanted to share it too. Not only, uh, not only the stories are interesting and it's pretty incredible. Some of the stuff, especially you growing up as a kid, wanting to be an astronaut and just going all the way until medically you couldn't go anymore. And that that's super cool. But the fact is, is that the, the military and, and especially flying planes and, and doing those kind of things really takes a systematic approach to being able to do things. I mean, you don't take, you, you don't, you don't start a plane up, without checking everything over you don't 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 take the plane off the ground without checking even more things you check things in the air you check things when you land it's there's systems and things that you need to do throughout i'm assuming i don't fly but that's correct right 
Absolutely. And, you know, the movie Top Gun and, and the upcoming sequel would have you believe that you, we just jump into a jet, you know, we <laughs> go off flying, we come back, we high five each other, we play a game of volleyball and then head to the bar. Uh, no other, I don't think any movies anywhere captures the amount of work and effort it really takes to stay current in aviation and what we have to know, what we have to learn, what we continually get tested on because it's a perishable skill. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, we're up there flying around and if you see, uh, if you detect a ship out there, well, what kind of ship is it? Is it a US ship? Is it an enemy ship? Okay, hey, it's an enemy ship. Okay, what kind of weapons does that enemy ship have? Okay, hey, I have to be able to identify an enemy ship. And then from memory, you know, it's like, hey, that enemy ship carries a missile that has a 40 mile range. So I need to stay about 40 miles away from that. Right. Yeah. So there's just so much work. And if you zoom past another airplane, it's like, hey, what kind of airplane was that? What country was it from? So you have to learn all the, the markings from all the different countries to learn what airplane it is, you know, what country it's from, what weaponry it has on it. I mean, there's just, that's about one one hundredth of all the things that we have to know. Yes. Aviation off of a carrier is a terribly unforgiving environment, right? So you have to follow processes and procedures, right? Otherwise, you know, you'll pay the ultimate price. I mean, people are going to die if you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to today and talking about reducing business growth challenges. So you got out of the military and you started to become a fractional COO and, and helping people run these businesses or COO in the businesses. And, and now we're moving and talking about you know, startups, high growth companies. And when we look at these things, and you look at the growth challenges, are there some common threads that you see amongst these, these businesses that are growing rapidly or the challenges that they're having as they grow? Yeah, absolutely. There are some uh, similarities. Just how, you know how sometimes you think that when something's happened to you or you're going through something that you're the only one going through this, oh man, nobody can understand what we're going through. Well, guess what? There's lots of companies out there and there's like inner stages that companies go through. So I work with a system called predictable success. And that system just says basically companies go through seven stages of growth and decline, right? And, and it's common. It's, it happens to small companies. It happens to single person companies. It happens to nonprofits. And they get to this point where they run into some challenges. And there's some specific ways to move through those challenges, but I can back up and talk about how they got there. So, so yeah. beginning, if you look at most companies, companies start with an idea, right? And, and in predictable success, we call this stage early struggle. And early struggle means that you have a product or a service that you want to sell. Now you have to go out and find a profitable and sustainable market before mm -hmm. whatever seed money you have runs out. Right. Everybody's going to do that. So they find some way to start the business with whatever funding that they have, whatever source it is. And you go out and search for someone that's going to buy your product or service and they have to buy it at a profit. Right. And that has to be sustainable because you can find a profitable business and you can find sustainable, but it needs to be both in order to be successful. And then mm -hmm. you get to the point where you're actually profitable. Like, hey, we can make payroll. We could do this. We could actually have money to put into the business. We have money to save, money to invest, money to buy things for the business. That's when you reach that point where the business is self-sustaining. And I think everybody goes through that, right? And then mm -hmm. the, the next stage coming up is what we in Predictable Success calls fun, which means it's fun. You are now, you've got clients, your client list is growing. And one of the things that you're doing is you're saying yes to everything. So a client says, hey, can you deliver this to Poland? And you look at each other, you, you, you look at the client and go, yes, we can do that. And then you walk away from that meeting going, man, how are we going to do that? <laughs> right? You yes. go back, you put your head together, and you figure something out, and you pull it off. Right? And a lot of companies have those, those things where they said yes to things, and they had no idea what they were doing, or a little bit of an idea what they were doing, and then they pulled it mm -hmm. off. Right. And they said mm -hmm. yes to everything. Right. And that's all good stuff. And I think every company has been in that stage, too. Right. Where everything is a whole lot of fun. And, and I'll stop there because there's a, 
uh, because fun is just a, it's a great place to be, right? But as you, um, as fun, you start to increase the number of clients and you start to increase your revenue. And I think yes. you've seen this too. Um, sometimes you increase your revenue and then you have to increase your resources and you increase both at the same time. So what happens to your profits? Yeah, and the profits, profits go down. You're like, hey, yeah. we got a new client. We need to hire two more people. Hey, we got another client. We need to hire two more people. Mm -hmm. So what is it? You're going, you're growing, right? But your profits are declining. Yeah. And then the company well, is starting to run into some issues because of the number of people that you have. Because when you're having fun, right, your doers and deciders are the same people. So you've got a really small group and the people who are doing all the work and the people who are making the decisions are the same people. So you can make a quick decision and you can implement that decision very quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You can say, hey, let's open up an office in uh, Miami. And when you get to the top of the elevator ride, <laughs> right, where you're discussing this, you're like, yep, we're opening an office in Miami. Right. You yeah. can do that when the doers and deciders are the same people. As the company starts to grow, the, the deciders are now a leadership team and the doers are a much larger team. So you cannot you can make decisions quickly, but you can't implement or execute those decisions quickly at all because mm -hmm. just through the complexity of growth. Now you have a leadership team. You have to communicate that decision to people and then you have to trust others to do it. Right. So things are starting to get more complex. You know, you're starting mm -hmm. to drop the ball just just by virtue of being larger and having more people in the mix. That all makes sense so far? Yeah, and and I imagine that communication is really simple as you're in that fun zone where people are doing and deciding, doing, deciding. But do you see that as you move into that and the teams get bigger and there's more leadership and doers separate do you see that companies struggle with a lot of the communication things that you know you should just know this but it's really needs to be communicated or or what are some things that you see as they go through that transition from we're having fun we're doing and deciding to we have deciders and doers separate uh, you're right. There are um, challenges with communication and that phase when they move out of fun and things start to get complex and things start to slow down and they can't really say yes to everything and turn on the dime anymore. You know, in predictable success, we call that stage whiteboard. And that is typically just what you said. Right. I mean, we talk about companies start making mistakes. The challenge in this phase of Whitewater is that previously in fun, you were delivering consistent quality in the face of simplicity. Things were simple. You didn't have a whole lot of people, so you didn't have to have a whole bunch of processes and everything like that. And things are things happen pretty quickly. As you start to grow and you have 15, 20, 25 people, right? You are now trying to deliver consistent quality in the face of complexity. Right. And that's difficult. And communication is part of that. How are you communicating? Another issue you have is that when um, small companies, some of the roles tend to be defined by the capabilities of the human being in that role. Right. And so whatever the role is, the people can just do whatever. It's like, hey, you're the HR person. You're you're this person and that person. But then, you know, as the company grows, guess where you have to start making? You have to start developing an org chart. Yeah. And the org chart, once you start filling out the positions in the org chart, you now need to transition that role, those roles from the capabilities of that person in the role to what the company needs. So in other words, if the company, if the title yep. is creative director, whatever that is, right? You now have to write down for the company, what does the creative director need the, to do for this company? Not what the person in that job is doing now. What do they have to do to support the goals of this company? And as it turns out, you may have some people that you may have to change their roles because they may not be capable of doing some of the things mm -hmm. that are needed to be done for that specific job. So things do start to get really hard. But the org chart is a decision-making machine, right? You start there, right? Because then you know, 
you know, the org chart shows you where the decisions are being made and it clarifies the roles of everyone in the company. Yeah. Well, I think this is, this is probably the beginnings of, as you go from startup phase into more mature business phase and, and people talk about the fact that you probably won't end with the people that you started with simply because they are, they're not going to be able to change with the business. And I think this is where a lot of people that do enjoy that startup doer and decider uh, workplace don't really fit well as these businesses scale. Is that correct? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So we talked about before, like I said, in predictable success, these stages of business, so that whitewater stage. And then there's a stage called predictable success after that, where the company is much scalable, which means that you've kind of worked through all of those issues. And now you're a well-oiled machine. And a lot of people in the company don't make it from that whitewater stage to that predictable success stage. So now let's talk about the types of people that make up those organizations. Now you heard of visionaries, right? Mm -hmm. Visionaries are the people that start companies, right? Yeah. So just like um, think about DISC and all these assessments that people do. So again, this is this one's a little bit different. Predictable success. We have visionaries. Everybody knows what a visionary is. At least I think they do, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have operators. Operators are people who go out and just get stuff done. Right. You know, you know, probably a couple of people you can call. It's like, hey, I need this done. Let me call so and so because I know they'll get it done. They're relentless mm -hmm. finishers. They know how to get stuff done. And then there's processors. Processors are the people who put systems and processes in place. Right. So you've got an organization made up of those three people because or those three types of people. Because as the organization gets larger, you come to realize, like, man, we have to set up some systems and processes that we can't keep making it up as we go along. Yeah. Right? Because every time, I mean, you've been in a company like this, you're doing the same thing. Let's say like proposals. Every time you do a proposal, it's something different, right? It's like, why does it feel like it's the first time we're doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have a good system or process and we're making it up. So you've got yeah. people who do that. And all three of those people just are wired differently, right? So mm -hmm. visionaries are sort of consumed with starting things. Visionaries like to start stuff. Also, visionaries are the ones, they like to start a lot of stuff. So the visionary comes in with a million ideas, right? Every day, yeah. right? And then operators just want to finish stuff. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? And processors are the people that sustain it right? Let's sustain it, let's systematize it and make it repeatable. And those, it, those three people or those three kinds of people are kind of at odds all the time because their mm -hmm. motivations and perceptions are different. And I'll give you an example. 8 a.m. Like if you look at the time, 8 a.m. Well, the visionary says, oh, 8 a.m. I, I think the bakery down the street opens at 8 a.m. Right. And the operator looks at 8 a.m. and says, man, that's two hours after I get to work. Right. And then 8 a.m., the processor, that's the exact time that the processor shows up every day because that's what time it says in the employee handbook. Right. And so, you know, you've got people that have those different, different feel, you know, they're just wired differently. Meetings. Mm -hmm. Visionary looks at meetings as, hey, here's the place for me to just go and talk about ideas and ramble on right? The operator, it's just like, why are you wasting my time with this meeting? I got work to do. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And then the processor's like, what is the agenda? And they're sitting there looking at the agenda, if there is one and crossing things off as they go through it. Right. So that's, those people are just wired, wired differently. And some of the turbulence between those three perceptions of life and the way those, those three types of people work, are the cause of some of the white, some of the issues that companies have in a white line. Mm -hmm. So this, this really comes to bring something to mind. And I'm going to ask, so you really need to understand what kind of person out of these three, the visionary, the operator or processor type of person you need in a certain role, don't you? Absolutely. So listen to this, right? So you're talking about, let's go back and talk about early struggle, right? So early struggle, you usually have a visionary that's going to start a company, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens if a visionary goes out and gets another visionary to help him or her start a company? Yeah. They usually end up talking about a lot of stuff and nothing happens. Yes. Right? Well, so and, what a vision 
Go ahead. Yeah, this is this is one good point though that I think that people when when we're looking at growth and we're looking at who we hire as we're growing a company, we really need to look at that role, what that role requires, and probably not all the time, but the vast majority of the time, it's probably not going to be like you if you're the one that started the company. Correct. So usually visionaries will go out and find an operator to go out and help them start the company. So in that stage, we talked about fun after they found their profitable, sustainable market and things are going well. It's usually a visionary and several operators just going out and getting stuff done. And then as mm -hmm. they grow, or they recognize the need for systems and processes, and then they get a processor to come in and start inserting those systems and processes. So what happens? The visionary says, hey, we need systems and processes for everyone except me, right? The visionaries yeah. don't typically want to follow their, the systems and processes yeah. that they, they, they want everybody else to follow, right? And then the operator is like, what do you mean I've got a this process? You're slowing me down. I got work to do. I don't have time to do. And mm -hmm. so a good example of this is keeping track of time because I've run into this in companies I've been, right? It's so you come in and the processor's like, hey, we need to keep track of our time. We need you operator and your operator group to keep track of their time because, you know, we need to know how much it costs for us to do a project, right? Because we want to yep. make sure that we're doing it profitably. And then the operator's like, ah, I, I can't, I, you know, now you want me to take... Now you want me to keep track of my time. Now you want me to fill out forms. Now you want me to do this, right? And so there's that constant struggle, right? And so the mm -hmm. processor thinks that the visionary and operators are mavericks. You know, the visionary thinks that the processor is slowing them down and stifling their creativity. And again, you can see how you need all those three people, but they're all motivated by different things. And that causes some of the turbulence in white. Yeah. Yeah. So as you... As you see people get into this point to where they're moving out of where they're having fun, where they're deciding and doing, deciding and doing, and, and moving into the, the, where the company really becomes more difficult to operate, but actually if you successfully get there more sustainable, um, what are some of the things they really need to be addressing in that point to where we, you know, we used to do it like this and now we're in this state where it's kind of, like you said, Whitewater, I think you called it, is is where, yeah. where we're, we've got customers, we're growing, but it's, boy, it's kind of chaotic. Uh, so what are some of the steps that they should do? Because I intuitively, I feel like this is a spot to where you need to step back and kind of take the lay of the land and then make some decisions here. Do a little bit of planning or, or, or something at this point, because otherwise, do these companies just stay in this churn like this right. forever? Well, you're absolutely right. And let me um, let me talk about this, right? So the first thing they need to be to do is be committed to moving to predictable success through Whitewater. Because a perfectly a perfectly acceptable option is to move back into this period of fun. But that means that there's uh, gonna be a limit on the company's growth. Right? Mm -hmm. You can only grow so much, right? If you want to get to the point where you can scale, you have to go to predictable success. And I don't think I fully answered your question the last time, and I will, and I think this should answer it. Another thing they have to commit to is not everybody's going to make that journey to predictable success. And a lot of times it's the operators that end up dropping out because those people who are operators, they just want to get stuff done. They don't want to be encumbered by processes. And they actually liked the fun part. Right. So the mm -hmm. fun was really, really good for the operators. And there are some operators that will just resist the processes. They resist the processor and the company is not going to be able to move forward with those people. I've been in the situation where I had and, and this is looking back on this before I actually knew what predictable success mm -hmm. was. But there is something we call big dog operators, which means that means these operators are they're really, really dominant operators, right? Because everybody kind of has a trace of visionary operator processor. And some people have like no traces of visionary or processor and they're all operators, let's say, right? Those people mm -hmm. really, really resist. They're like, hey, this company's not what it used to be. It used to be fun. You know, it's going to be a different company. 
and I don't want to be a part of that. And, and they'll actually start to sabotage some of the efforts to move forward. So those people have to go. Now, some of those people are co-founders of the company and close friends, people that the visionary CEO, you know, they may, you know, they may be godparents to each other's children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they went through a lot together, but everyone is not going to make it to that. And so they have to be really committed to scaling and committed to doing that. If not, it's perfectly okay for them to move back to, to fund, but they just know they're not going to grow. They're only There's going to be a cap on their growth. If they do that. That, that's a great point because I think a lot of people get stuck in, oh, we got to scale, we got to scale, we got to scale. But if you're not really committed on going all the way to having the right people in the right spots, then staying at a certain size where you can do what you do, how you're doing it today and having fun is an acceptable option. Well, you're right. And one company that I was a part of, you know, I kind of looked around and said, okay, we're, uh, and I'll make these numbers up. We're an $8 million company with, you know, with a million in profit, right? Well, let's first be an $8 million company with $2 million in profit, right? And then we can mm -hmm. consider, then we can talk about whether or not we want to scale, right? So become yeah. as efficient as you can before huh. making that decision to move to predictable success. And my sense was this company, looking back, they would have probably, had they understood this whole concept, had I understood it, right, and been a part of it, it would have been best to move that company back into fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're right, because you can operate where you have deciders and doers doing the work together, making the quick decisions and doing that. And then work on your increasing your profitability rather than growing the business because you don't necessarily need to grow top line revenue to grow profits. Absolutely. And not everybody, let's say single person businesses. So right now I'm a single person business, right? It's just me. Mm -hmm. I can only do so much. I have no desire to build a large team, to build a huge company, to go out and do what I'm doing. So for me, as a single person business, fun is the place that I want to be. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point because sometimes, like I said, I think it just, we get a lot of people get fixated on that scaling and, and crash going through it because they don't want to get the right people in the right spots. And there's a lot of, you know, I don't know. Do you think that that happens a lot where people go, oh, well, we got to get this to scale and they just don't get there because they don't commit or they, they can't really get the right people in the right roles. Well, there's a you, you're I, I think those are some of the systems, but there's a lot more to it too, right? Everybody's got to be aligned. Like the visionary has to share his or her vision and make sure that everyone else is aligned with that vision. So that's one of those things we call alignment, right? Everybody, I mean, have you ever been anywhere where the mission statement wasn't clear or the vision wasn't clear? I mean, those things have to be clear and then they have to be committed to it. And everybody in the organization has to understand that goal and be committed to working towards it. The other part yeah. of it is something that in predictable success calls the enterprise commitment. And this is for the leadership team. When you are a part of the leadership team, you are there to move the business forward, not necessarily your silo of the business, right? So the mm -hmm. decisions that you make as part of the leadership team should be those that are best for the business and not necessarily best for your department. Does, does that make sense? And if people understand no, yeah. that, right, that's part of it. And then, then once they understand that, then they actually start working laterally, which means that if you're in operations, you're looking at an, uh, the other department going, okay, if I make this decision, how is that going to impact finance? How is that going to impact operations? They're actually thinking about some of the other parts of the business and then the teams not necessarily the leadership team people are actually working cross-functionally they're actually moving outside of their solo silo and communicating with people who aren't necessarily in their you know in their group and that's really the best place you could be that's part of a line so they have to sort of get that piece so again another yeah. organization i was a part of you just had a fight between different departments Right. They didn't work together. They're just constantly fighting for resources. They lacked that mm -hmm. enterprise and they weren't going to make it to predictable success until they as the leadership team understood that they were all there to move the whole business forward. Yeah. 
And I, and I can imagine that, that as you get a little bit bigger too, it's easier to silo and silo and silo to create more of these silos where people are, you know, just it, allocating it for what's best for them. It is. And one of the, one of the things that I did as a fractional COO is just created a cross-functional project. Pick something that was cross-functional that would benefit the entire company. And, and my yeah. favorite was onboarding. Let's every let's pick people from every department and start working on the onboarding process because that benefits everyone. It gets you people mm -hmm. used to working together. There are no, I mean, in onboarding, everybody's kind of equal, right? You know what I mean? And so cross-functional yeah. projects are really the way to do that. And then once you get people started starting to work cross-functionally, and then you start when you have the room in your business to allow people to do other things. You know, in a mm -hmm. creative agency, you've got somebody that comes in and sales and said, hey, I'd really like to learn how to be a, a part of the film group. It's like, OK, yeah, well, OK, we can work some time into it. Your primary job can't suffer, but we will allow you some time to go and work with a film crew and see that that's something that you might want to do. It benefits mm -hmm. everybody, it teaches them a new skill, it teaches them a new appreciation and understanding for people in other departments and how they work. Right. So those are all those are all great things to do. Yeah, and I can imagine that that um, letting people work outside of their normal area once in a while too, or develop those other skills helps them within their area too, because they start to see more holistically how what they do affects the rest of the business. Especially when it's thing, especially when they're tangible things, and and I'll give you an example of when I was I was a manager of a large group of people at, at Boeing, and my people actually touched the airplane, right? We actually had people that got on the airplane. Okay. And did, and there's a lot of people at Boeing that never get to touch an airplane, right? They're sitting up there mm -hmm. in front of spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, and all sorts of other stuff. So I opened up a, a position in my department called, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what it was called, but that allowed anybody in the entire organization to come and train and do this role for aircraft delivery where they would actually get to walk on the airplane with the client and check a bunch of things off before we delivered the airplane, right? And that's oversimplifying it. But I says, here's the commitment. You got to do this. And the more people we have qualified to do it, it's going to be better for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, to get people who have been sitting in front of contracts, spreadsheets, and PowerPoint presentations all day, to get them actually on an aircraft, right? They didn't get to fly, but they at least got on it, you know, when the aircraft had power on it, you know, you got to yep. see all the things light up. Make right? sure it works, yeah. They were, you wouldn't believe how it energized those people. I mean, how they would come back and go, man, I was on the airplane today, it was great, you know? I mean, and just a little Very program cool. like that, you know, I had, a, I had almost more people that we could handle uh, coming in and volunteering to do that. Right. And it, huh. it helped the entire organization by having as many people as we could uh, qualified to do that particular job. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff there. Cause it, that, that, yeah. Cross training is so important in that. So as you're going through this and you're, and we're in this situation where we're, we're past the fun stage, we're in this whitewater, things are going, what are some of the, the typical things you're going to see, you talked about quality of delivery of product. You're going to see some quality problems. What are some of the other typical um, things that you see as a company is really past the fun stage and in that whitewater stage where they're, they're growing, but it's not pretty. Crisis management, firefighting, right? You know how it is, right? So you'll see that. I mean, if that's the norm, I mean, do you want to come in and just fight fires every day? And manage crises every day. That's that's part of it, you know. Stalled growth, um, it, again, just screw ups, just people dropping the ball. Like, hey, let's, you know, you either if you've got a product, you've either delivered delivered them to the wrong place, you've delivered the wrong quantity, you've delivered the wrong product, or if a service, you've just got the client coming back, and your clients aren't as happy as as they used to be. You know, they're like, hey. You guys, you guys aren't doing as well as, as you used to. So mm -hmm. infighting between different groups. I mean, there, there's just, you know, there's a lot of those things. Just churn in general. You may have some employee churn. You may just have people leaving. 
you know, and not understanding yeah. why, you know, a few yeah. of those things are symptoms as well. Yeah, just write a couple notes here as I'm thinking through this because it is uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of companies get to that stage, um, and maybe you even got some numbers. So, how many companies get that stage and actually go past it? I actually don't have numbers for that, so I'm sorry, I don't have. Okay, no, I was just curious because it's 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 interesting to see how many actually get past the point, or how many just live in that kind of crisis mode. For many many years because i mean you you can be profitable in there it's just not as good as you want yeah. to be well one of the things i really liked about this predictable success right because there's a lot of systems out there and, and i found this one i read all the books you know and be, decided to become a predictable success practitioner right because i found it to be very intuitive and if i if i think if more companies understood this it's almost like adolescence right puberty you're gonna go through it right? You're, you're going to go through it and you just got to get through it, right? And yeah. you, it, it just happens. And so one of the things of predictable success is, hey, you're going to go through this. Here are some ways we can help you get through it quickly. But I think just knowing it, just knowing about those stages, recognizing the phase that you're in and going, wow, uh, man, this is just kind of a normal part of growth. Well, yeah, it is. And then understanding those kinds of people and then how bringing in the right kinds of people at the right time matters. Because if you're in fun, right, and you bring in processors too early, there, there's, you know, if you're out there just running around with a couple of people, you don't need that much process, right? So again, mm -hmm. or if you bring in another visionary and then you start to get dominant with visionaries and you have all these ideas and you don't have enough people to go out and execute those ideas. So that's why I think it's important. Now, one thing, one person that I didn't, um, one person that I did, or one type of person that I didn't mention earlier is a person called a synergist. Synergist is the person that's going to get into predictable success because a synergist is, I'm a synergist. A synergist is a person that understands all three of the others. And the synergist is a learned style, which means at some point you are a visionary operator or processor and you evolved into being a synergist. And the synergist is kind of the one that works behind the scenes to get everyone else to understand the motivations of the other. So what I did as a, a fractional COO is I sit back and, you know, I'm looking at the operator going, hey, the operator needs to do this and the company needs to know that, or the processor needs to do the law of your time because we mm -hmm. really need to know how much it costs us to do stuff. You know what I mean? And then you also go to the visionary and go, listen, you have a thousand ideas today and the operator can only do two of those. And so yep. let's figure out which two are the most important. And let's maybe kind of pull back on some of the ideas and changes in direction because you're burning the operators out. Right? Mm -hmm. And so it's with that sort of style of person that you get into predictable success. Yes, because it does, I, I tell you, it, it does really take someone that knows about all the types of people to really see what's the right type of person for a position and, you know, where are we going to, we're here now, we need to go there. And it's going to take someone like that or that help to get that person there. Yeah. And let me, let me uh, talk about, I'll talk about that uh, predictable success pathway a little bit more. There's actually... Predictable success is sort of at the pinnacle of this thing. And there's actually, you can actually start to decline. And you the, the first stage of this decline is called, uh, it's called treadmill. And what happens with treadmills, you start to actually become over-processed. And you may have seen some companies like this where process, people live to execute the process. You are, yeah. It is now more important to actually do the checklist than it is to, com you know, to complete what the checklist was there for to begin with right? Think mm -hmm. government agencies and things like that, right? Where it's like, no, nope, this is the process. And they're so rigid on the process that they start to lose that innovation and creativity, right? So the key in that, in getting yourself back to predictable success is to bring more visionaries to, is to hire, right? For you, through your hiring practices, you can make, bring more visionaries in, you can bring fewer processors in, right? Bring in more visionaries and that should kickstart your innovation and creativity, right? So that's like, you know, like I said, I'm, like you can tell I'm a big proponent of this because one, it's very intuitive. You don't have to go to a class 
or get a certification to understand visionary operator processor and synergies, right? Nor mm -hmm. do you have to do, hey, this is fun, this is white water, this is predictable success. Um, I find it to be very intuitive. And so when you're, I, I, and I find it to be important because if you're sitting at this predictable success, right? Do you want to bring in more processors? Do you want to bring in more visionaries? Or if you're in fun, do you want to bring in another visionary? You know, again, just knowing that will help you and having the right person uh, and the right makeup of the leadership team is important to keep that company in that place where it's scalable. Yeah, because and it because it's always going to change too. I would think as you as you keep scaling your company, you're going to need to really be measuring the, you know, are we are we doing are we flexible enough to really be innovative and do the things we want, and are we process driven enough to um, make high quality, you know, people can count on us doing it the right way every time, and are we getting it? Do we have enough capacity to get the things done? like we want to get them done. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then you talked about decisions too. So remember when you're kind of in fun, right? You can make decisions quickly and implement them quickly, right? When you're in whitewater, mm -hmm. you make decisions quickly, but it takes forever to implement them, right? When you're in this stage called predictable success, you actually make decisions slowly, but implement them quickly, right? Because everybody's aligned and everybody's committed to the enterprise. And the slow part is because you, you've built this team and you've built this communication network, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are communicating laterally, they're communicating with each other. So the decision-making is slower, but the implementation is a lot faster. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because I think as people see businesses getting bigger, they think the overall process is slower, but I think if you do it right, at least to a certain point, obviously, if it gets huge, huge, uh, you can actually speed your decision. The overall to the end result, uh, getting to the end result, because we take a little more time at the beginning to really make sure we going to do it, make sure everybody's aligned. We've got the, the input, but then it's like, whoosh, it goes through a lot faster. You're absolutely right. hundred percent. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's so, interesting to me as you dissect and, and we're, we're we're getting close to time here it's so interesting to me here as as you start to dissect the challenges of a company that's really growing and understanding looking at them differently and and really understand the people that you need the roles that you need to fill and how that's constantly changing and how the 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 uh, leaders really need to be aware of that yeah, again, I think that once I became aware of, of this, once I started studying it, you know, I was able to go back and reflect upon every organization I've been a part of and figure out, oh, that's, that's why we were having that problem. I get it. That's why this didn't happen. That's why this did happen. You know, I, I really think it's, you know, I really think it's advantageous to know this. Listen, there's a lot of other systems out there. You know that. There's yeah, yeah. EOL. There's all sorts yeah. of systems. I mean, yeah, pick, yeah. this is just the one that works for me, right? And this yeah. is the one that I gravitated to because I felt it was so, um, I felt it was intuitive. And a lot of the things, a lot of it, I felt like I could have wrote myself because as a fractional CEO and an independent, I was going out and some of the solutions to getting out of Whitewater were solutions that I was implementing. You know, yes. I walked into somewhere and went, oh, we don't have an org chart. Let's get that straightened out. Let's get the rules, you know, let's get people's, roles and responsibilities clarified. Let's figure out where decisions are being made. Now let's do this. Well, guess what? That's one of the things in predictable success that, you know, one of the first things that we do when moving a company from Whitewater into predictable success. And that whole part, I felt like I could have wrote it myself when I got there. Um, but again, yeah. with business systems, right? There's a lot of them out there. I recommend that people just go and take a look, right? Because there's, I've well, seen yeah. a bunch of copy on, on stages that company go companies go through, and I think they're all right. So yeah, exactly for you and go with it, right? Exactly, that's what I was going to say. It's like you know these are these are like you know genes. There's a lot of different kinds of genes. You just got to put one a pair on that works for you, and and really 
the thing that's cool about what you've talked about today, you talked about predictable success and, and we've, we've mentioned EOS and there are other systems, but it's, you really need to look at what's happening in your organization and, and look at some of these systems because they will give you that basic foundation and give you some tools that can help you continue to refine and improve your business. Yeah, let me let me just go back to, you know, you talked before about aircraft, right? The airplane. So in my flying career, right, we have a plan. You got to start with a plan, right? So we plan to fly, mm-hmm. we execute the flight, and then we debrief everyone. So we figure out what 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 went good and what went bad. And the and the goal is continuous improvement, right? And the same thing with the business, right? This, you know, make a plan, any plan. Mm-hmm. right work towards executing that plan right and then step back and evaluate how the plan is going and adjust accordingly and then yeah. be ready for things not to go according to that plan as well yes yes, <laughs> yes. yeah exactly well this is this is awesome ron because you've I'm just so so appreciative of you coming by and and talking about this because I think business owners go a lot of times or, or leaders, business owners in, in these higher growth companies and go, man, this is, this is really unique. It's, but it's not, these things happen all over. If they can step back, take a look at it, maybe get some tools and some help. They can really make a difference and, and yeah. work them work through these issues. Yeah. You are not alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. You are not there, alone. there are companies out there doing, you know, experiencing the same kinds of problems you are. And there is a way to navigate your way through those problems. And yes, a, yes. A system will help you. I know predictable success will help you. You, you, need, you have any questions about it, happy to go through it with you. And I know there's some other systems out there that will help you. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Well, Ron, thanks so much for being here today. Again, we have Ron Higgs from Wolf Management Solutions talking about the reducing business growth challenges. And we we're talking about predictable success and some of the, the key things that you need to consider as you go through different stages of, of uh, scaling and growing your companies. Thanks so much for being here today, Ron. So where, where's a good place for people to get a hold of you? Oh, LinkedIn. You know how much I love LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. Reach out, send right. me a connection request. Um, that is the best place to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for being here today. Thanks Ron for stopping by and sharing your knowledge. Appreciate you. And, We will be back again later this week. Thanks for having me, Dan.